Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It is the end of the year, the perfect time to take a seat, grab a drink, and reflect on all the good stuff that people managed to make this year kind of against all odds. This week, we're going to talk about the best books of the year with two excellent book nerds. MJ Franklin is an editor for the New York Times Book Review. MJ, hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm very excited. We also have Tracy Thomas, who hosts the Stacks podcast. Tracy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me too. I'm so excited. Thanks for coming. This is going to be very fun. So I'm always curious, like professional readers, how many books they've managed to read in a given year. I actually like just hit 100, which is more than I've ever read, which I'm kind of excited about, though I'm not sure what that meant for my social life (laughs) this year, but I'm not going to think about it too hard. Um, MJ, how many books have you read this year? I hate to say I have absolutely no clue. And that's because <laughs> I'm so <laughs> uh, impressed. And that's because I like so I used to keep this spreadsheet where I like document everything I read. But yeah. then once I started this job at the book review, I started giving myself all of these rules in order for a book to make it onto the list. And mm. so I had to like I couldn't speed read it, I couldn't like work read it. And then halfway through the year to add more chaos to it, I just like forgot to update my list. <laughs> so, I have no clue how much I've read, but I read a lot in a lot of different ways. It's been a good year for books. Um, I'm sorry that my list is in shambles. Oh my gosh, please don't apologize. That's fascinating. So what about you, Tracy? How, how shambly is your spreadsheet at this point in the year? Okay, my spreadsheet is super not shambly. <laughs> I have to say it's like my pride and joy. It's vibing. It's living its best life. Ooh. I just looked. I've read 103 books so far this year. Nice. Um, and that's all finished books. I don't include books I don't finish. Um, right. And yeah, it's, it's, um, I did it. I hit a hundred. That's always like my goal. And I never quite know if I'm going to get there or not. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, MJ, I'm especially curious since you're going through so much stuff. Do you think there are any like notable shifts or interesting trends that you've noticed in terms of books that have come out this year? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. I don't know if this is like a shift in how many books, um, are coming out this year versus what we're talking about. But I feel like, especially after uh, recently, we're seeing a lot of um, books grappling with race. I think that that has been a topic for (laughs) books like throughout time. But I I think there's like a lot of really incredible nonfiction too that um, maybe they're not, it's not like a new um, wave of books about it, but I think there's new attention on those types of books. Um, I think they're gracing a lot of bestseller lists. They're gracing a lot of bookstore tables. Um, There are a lot of what people are gravitating toward just themselves, just to kind of make sense of 
what we are living through right now and like what happened with George Floyd last year and what dynamics are at play and just when people wanted to think like in depth Mm -hmm. and with some level of remove from the current events but um in in a way that also speaks to the current events um what about you have you noticed anything I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, especially given, you know, the conversations that have happened around how white the publishing industry has been. Mm -hmm. And it it does seem like they're trying to make some shifts in better directions, though. Obviously, there's still a really, you know, long way to go. What do you think, Tracy? So I think to this point, I think MJ's definitely right that there's new attention. And I think some of that is coming organically from the reader. But I also yeah. think a lot of that is coming very deliberately from publishing. Those are the books they're deciding to put money behind in a way that maybe they wouldn't, even though the author more than likely was working on this book before summer 2020. Like the book probably was acquired long before and all of that. But the way that books are marketed is so important in about which books sell, which books make it on the New York Times bestseller list, which books get that extra push from Mm -hmm. marketing makes a huge difference if it makes it into your home or onto the tables. And I think that is definitely where the switch has happened um, in response to last summer. And I think, I wish I could remember, I, I don't have it in front of me, but There was just a piece that came out talking about, you know, publishing so white and how publishing really hasn't changed at all in the last year. And so I think um, as far as like who's hired and who's working, and and this was specifically Penguin Random House, but I have to assume that that's probably true more or less across the board for all of the larger publishers. Um, And so I think it's interesting that while they are renegotiating which books they're marketing, they're maybe not so much renegotiating who has a seat at the table still. So it's been, it's early still, but it's interesting to think about, you know, those two things up against each other. That makes sense. So all three of your picks are nonfiction. Want to tell us about one of them? Sure. I'll start with Seek You by Kristen Radke. It's, um, it's actually a graphic memoir nonfiction, which is so not me, but this book totally blew me away. It is so beautiful. The writing is so beautiful. The pictures are so beautiful. The colors are so beautiful. And it's talking about loneliness. And this is actually one of the books that did mention COVID, but it's in the introduction in this book. She says something along the lines of, I started writing this book in 2016 when I was talking about, you know, the book's all about loneliness. I was talking about loneliness. Then 2020 happened. I have a totally different understanding about loneliness because of COVID and you probably do too. And I don't know when you're reading this or where you are. So I'm not going to talk any further about it, essentially, is what she says. And the book is nonfiction. It also connects memoir with her life, but she has so much researched interesting stuff about um, Harry Harlow, who did those experiments on the monkeys um, and adoption. Yeah. And there's stuff about Princess Diana and there's stuff about television shows. And it's just so incredible the way she's, she weaves all these different elements of American loneliness, because that's sort of the framing of the book. And I just, I was really taken by it. And I'm not a person who normally even picks up a graphic novel memoir. Hmm. Um, So it was really a surprise wow book for me. I thought that one was really special too, though I did find it to be kind of a bummer. (laughs) Oh, I cried in my bathtub reading it. But so for me, just so you know, your listeners know, crying, feeling bummed out, getting enraged, getting emotional over a book is actually like my A plus standard. So if it doesn't evoke some sort of like generally negative emotion in me, I probably didn't like it. If it makes me laugh really hard, then yes. But if it sort of makes me like chortle, I'm not that into it. 
Um, so it has to evoke like some deep emotions. Like I love books that are, you know, crazy investigative journalism where I'm like, I can't believe that happened or whatever. So this book is a total bummer, but I, I wanted to feel bummed out reading about loneliness. Like I wanted to feel sad yeah. and sorry for myself a little bit. Tracy, <laughs> so funny. I am so with you. My favorite like reaction to a book is when I want to immediately tweet about it with like yes. the heart emoji and the crying eye emoji, like yes. back and yes. forth. Like yes. that's the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if I'm not sort of miserable in some way, oh, I feel like maybe it wasn't that good of a book. That's funny. Okay. Well, our tastes definitely <laughs> differ in that respect, but that's totally okay. I mean, I did like Seek You. It was just like, especially the monkey stuff. It was just like, this is too sad. It was just so sad. It was sad. But anyway, um, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> um, MJ, what do you want to start with? Yes. So I want to start with a novel because I it is my new goal to sell like the incredible fiction that has been published this year to Tracy. Um, <laughs> if you have only read nonfiction, here are some novels that you should read. Um, and the one that I want to start with is The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois by Honoré Fanon Jeffers. So good. What a yeah. book. Um, so it weaves together a bunch of different stories. At the center is Ailey Pearl Garfield, who is um, a young Black girl growing up in the South. She is growing up in a small town in Georgia and then also a city elsewhere just called The City. I think mm-hmm. um, I read somewhere that it was supposed to be like a veiled DC, but it's never clarified in the book. And so it's her coming of age story paired with the the foundation of the American landscape. So it starts off talking about the indigenous people who um, had the land and then as uh, white colonists came and how they kind of stole the land. And then it goes into the history of American slavery. And it kind of tells these stories as aliens growing up and then also the story of her ancestors. And mm-hmm. they kind of weave together. Um, and then the way it weaves together will make you, it, it will give you that crying emoji, heart emoji, <laughs> crying emoji reaction. Um, what I loved about this book, so many things, it's hard to put it into to just a few words. But the first thing that I noticed about this book is one, it is huge. It's like 800 pages. This is why I didn't pick it up, you guys, because I was like, I know. it's a novel. And what if I hate it and I get 400 pages in and then I have to finish because of my reading tracker? I- I had the same experience. I was listening to the audiobook and the app told me that it was longer than one day of audio. And I was like, I can't do this. And then I finally started last week and I'm already over halfway through. And it is like it's on my list and I haven't even finished it because it's just that phenomenal. It is incredible. And the thing that I loved about it is like it announces itself with so much sweep and authority. It yeah. starts off with this like story of um, these indigenous people and like talking about how like they met and fell in love and it starts like their kind of generational story. And then it cuts to the present and you realize this like beautiful immersive story that you've like fully sunk into mm-hmm. is just the That's prologue. It. Yep. it is just the prologue. And I was like, okay, buckle up. I am ready. And yeah. then it, pivots to the story of Ailey Pro Garfield and her story is this like magical funny tragic beautiful coming of age story mm-hmm. at first as she's kind of like growing up in the south she is light-skinned but black and so she 
doesn't necessarily feel like she fits fully in to the black community who sometimes ostracizes her but she doesn't fit into the white community either so it starts off there and kind of goes into some of her romances and when she is a kid some of the things that she encounters um am i allowed to swear on this podcast Oh yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay, great. Because I have a quote. I have a quote because she's oh, like having, <laughs> she has this like exchange with this boy um, who's like who has wronged her, and she says, "Christopher Allen Tate, don't push your luck. I said I'd talk to you in January. In the meantime, I suggest you reflect on your asshole <laughs> behavior. You made a fool out of me in front of that white girl, and I am not a woman to be trifled with." <laughs> But please remember to give your mom my best. <laughs> She's like 14. She's having these like incredible exchanges that I am hooting and hollering over. Yeah. And then it pivots again and kind of goes into the stories we tell about America and who has the right to these stories and how do you remember this history? And another character says something that's like, think about how angry it will make you that the people who stole your house forgot it ever belonged to you. Mm. And then you realize like, that's what the scope is for. That's what the length is for. Mm -hmm. It is announcing itself with authority to say like, these are our stories. They are Mm. worth your time. Yeah. Dig into it. It's not just an extended prologue. It is a founding of the American landscape that is ours. And don't forget it. Well, and it's one of those two where like there are enough characters that I've thought about consulting the family tree, which I know I could find online or whatever as I'm listening. But I also am scared to look at it because of spoilers. Mm. Don't look at the family tree. Don't look at the (laughs) family tree. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it just. Yeah, I mean, that's how into it I am. So, Tracy, I do think you would like it a lot. It's worth it's worth the time. Make it happen when you're up for (laughs) it. Okay, That's one of my choices, too. It's just outstanding. Okay, let's take a break, and then we'll hear another one of Tracy's picks. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Okay, Tracy, you're up. Will you tell us about Empire of Pain? Okay. As I mentioned, I love an investigative journalism moment. Patrick Radden Keefe is, he's a star. This book is all about the Sackler family and the drug OxyContin. And it's not so much Mm. a book about people who have addiction to OxyContin and other painkillers and and the drugs that come out of it. It's much more about the family, their rise to power, and then also the drug itself and the marketing behind the drug. So if you're looking for a book that's going to tell you about people who have, you know, had addictions and those sorts of things, that's not this book. This book is investigative journalism about the crimes of the family and I would argue the crimes Mm -hmm. of the American government and FDA and other governing bodies that didn't sort of shut this down a little earlier. Um, But for me, it's just the the way the story is written. It's 
I mean, you're sort of rooting for them in the beginning and then you're like, holy shit, no, 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 no. These are bad people. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, it's, it's, I don't even know how to say how great it is. It's one of the best things I've read in a long time, actually. And I just, wow. it's one of the best pieces of investigative journalism. If you read Bad Blood a few years back, it's sort of in similar vein about mm -hmm. Theranos. You know, it's that same kind of like, let's profile these people. And also let's talk about how they knew they were doing horrible things and continue to do it. And here's the emails <sighs> and here's, you know, the, here's their trail. I feel like this book is the happy medium, yes. whether you love fiction or nonfiction. This is nonfiction, but told with the verve of fiction. Hmm. A thousand percent. It's so readable. Wow. It's like so much drama, so much mess. And, and and for people who don't know this about the Sacklers, there's about a bazillion different art museums, wings, et cetera, that are named after oh, the Sackler God, family because part of the whole thing with them is their obsession with their name. And so the book kind of sets out to explain how this family that no one's ever heard about prior to the last few years had a humongous drug empire and also was the preeminent art sponsor for the Met, for Harvard, like all these places. That's interesting. That sounds like a nonfiction book that I would really enjoy. Okay, so MJ, you have one nonfiction pick on your top three, right? Yes, I do. It is How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. Clint is incredible. He's a poet. He's a journalist. He's a writer. And for this book, he is looking at America's history with slavery. Um, and the way he does that is he chooses a handful of places in America and one abroad and kind of looks at its connection to... American history to Black history to the American slave trade. And then it's not necessarily about the history of that place, but how the people there think about the history of that place, how they share that history, hence how the word is passed. Um, he goes to Monticello, he goes to the Angola mm. prison, he goes to the Blanford Cemetery in Virginia, which is a, a Confederate cemetery. And he kind of just like talks and listens. Um, it is endlessly fascinating because you learn just a lot of history and hidden things about places that are right in front of us. Um, but I think what makes it so good is this is another, for me, um, another book that is nonfiction, but reads like fiction because Clint totally brings you there to each space. He fills the atmosphere. You feel like you feel the sun on Monticello mm. or you, like, you can feel the wind um, when he's at the Angola prison. And like, there's a scene for instance, in Angola where he's a black man and he's thinking about how there's this prison built on what used to be a plantation. And he walks into the chamber where they do executions. And like, he's thinking about how he is a black man sitting in that, in that room. And I think he briefly mm -hmm. sits in like the chair that, that's there. And so he totally brings you there. Um, but what I think Clint does really well is that he listens without judgment. I, I said like his superpower is how he listens because it's mm -hmm. just him processing how people tell their stories and, 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 and the stories of this history. And it happens in all kinds of weird, strange, unexpected ways. It, it, incredible book. One of the best of the year. This book is so, 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 mm -hmm. so good. I, Clint is so incredibly smart and as you mentioned, he is able to be 
to listen and to be passive somehow in this book. He's able to write the story and be a part of it without being the center of it, if that makes sense. And he really lets the history speak and he really lets the way more more than just the history, but the way that we understand the history now. There's this great scene. I think it's like the first chapter where they're at Monticello and there's these women who are on the tour with him and they're like, yeah, you know, we learned all this stuff about Thomas Jefferson, but this sort of changes how we understand him, this whole slavery stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and he lets our collective understandings as they differ sort of be a part of the narrative of slavery, which I think is a really important way to tell American history or history in general is it's not just the things that happened, but it's also the ways that these things have been shaped over time and our relationship to that changing landscape of history, if that makes sense. A thousand percent. And what I loved about that scene too, is that like these women have come to this place with this atrocious history and they initially were just there for the architecture and didn't know Mm -hmm. what that history was. And Clint does, but he's not condescending about it. He's not mean about it. He does not talk Mm -hmm. down to these women. He just listens and and seeks to understand how they want to understand history. And I think that generosity is what gives the book its spark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what skill. That's incredible. That also definitely sounds like it's a heart emoji, cry face emoji, heart emoji, cry face emoji sort of book. (laughs) A thousand percent, it definitely is. So one of my favorites this year is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, which is also kind of a doorstop of a book. And, you know, it was a Nerdette Book Club pick. I feel like I've raved about it a million times on this show. So I don't have to talk about it too much, but I do think it really is just like historical fiction at its finest. And actually, kind of like the love songs of W.E.B. Du Bois also, I think so often with books that have alternating timelines or viewpoints there's the one that you really enjoy and the one you kind of have to slog to so you can get back to the one that you enjoy and that never happened with great circle like it was always just fascinating wherever you were in the story which is just such a treat i think especially with a book that's you know more than 500 pages yeah that's a huge book i read it too and i totally agree like every single thread that comes together is so interesting and when there was a perspective shift I was both sad to leave the perspective that I was with but then also excited to go back to this thread that I love yes yes okay so uh Tracy tell us about a little devil in America okay so this is where I break my own rule this is not necessarily cry face emoji heart emoji (laughs) cry face emoji great However, I did cry. Uh, (laughs) This book is called A Little Devil in America, Notes in Praise of Black Performance. It's by Hanif Abdurraqib. He is writing cultural criticism about black performance, but not necessarily performance in the way that you think of it. In addition to what he's talking about being so incredible, Hanif Abdurraqib it has the most beautiful prose. He is a poet as well, actually, just like Clint Smith, who has beautiful prose as a poet. Hanif is the same thing. Um, and and the way that he writes about things that we know so well. There's an essay on uh, male friendships and the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh. And so he's doing these really incredible things with 
performance as far as like being on stage, but also how we perform and how black people perform our blackness and how that's understood. There's an essay on black face. There's an essay on black people in space that is so incredible that I wept. This is when I wept on. Um, He's talking about the moonwalk. He's talking about Trayvon Martin. He's talking about his own mother. He's talking about LaBelle and he's weaving it all together in this essay where it's just like, Oh my gosh, how could people be so talented? Wow. He's really a writer where it's just like, how did you get to be so talented? How are you gifted in this way? And thank goodness that I get to read your work as you write it. It's just incredible. What a gift. Uh, okay, MJ, tell us about your third one. Intimacies is a novel by Katie Kimura, who you may know from A Separation. Um, and this book follows a narrator who has just moved to The Hague. And she starts um, a job as an, an interpreter at an international court. So she's kind of getting her grounding, trying to figure out what home is, what to her, like what life means to her. She is in this complicated relationship with a man who is separated from his wife, but may or may not be over her. Mm-hmm. And then she befriends someone whose brother was attacked. Um, and it's about how she kind of like befriends this woman, but she's also curious about the attack. And while all of this is going on, she, as part of her job, gets assigned to interpret for um, a war criminal. He is being tried in The Hague and the International Court um, for war crimes. And all of a sudden, she becomes literally his voice. And so her sense of self is once again shifted. And the whole book is a look at like what you can understand about other people. And like as she gets closer or spends more time with people, her initial perceptions of them change. And she's grappling with that change in perception. And it's all just very murky. And and what wowed me about this book is truly the strength of Katie Kinemura's prose. Mm -hmm. It is... So the word I keep using is precise. You get the sense that every single word is crafted with a poet's precision, bringing poetry back up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Katie's a poet, but her um, her prose in this book is written with that level of attention. Every sentence is doing double and triple duty here to the point where you meet a, you'll meet a character you'll focus so intensely on a sentence because it means one thing. You'll see the character in another context and then you'll want to jump back um, and read that sentence again. Wow. My concern was that it wasn't going to be plotty enough and that it would just be too intense and weird. It is intense (laughs) and weird. Um, She gave an interview where she said um, that she was, I'm going to get this wrong, but the, the phrase that comes to mind, this phrase she definitely said was, the tension is in the interiority. Mm. And so there is a lot of plot there, but like the interiority of all of these characters are so at odds with each other and they feel so strange in this very rich way. Wow. That's, I'm very intrigued by that description. I'm intrigued too. You've really made me curious about this one and I wasn't before. Then my goal is achieved. Fiction, that. fiction on your list. Fiction okay. is so good, Tracy. <laughs> to be fair, if I had a top, you know, five or ten, there's some I fiction know. that would have snuck in, I you know. know. But three is hard. You really three have to really make. Hard. You really have to make choices. <laughs> <sighs> time, man. What is time? It's exactly. just real tricky. <laughs> so the last book on my list, which I have mentioned briefly on the show before, is called 
Psalm for the Wild Built. It's by Becky Chambers, who's known for her Wayfarers series. And this is the beginning of a new series as well. This, unlike Love Songs and Great Circle, is super short. It's a novella. It's less than 200 pages. And it's got some, like, post-apocalyptic, well, not maybe apocalyptic, but, like, post-tech world vibes, if that makes sense. Like, there's things have been simplified in a very specific way, and, like, tech doesn't exist anymore for people. And it seems like it's probably on Earth, but it's definitely a sci-fi story. But the two characters both use non-gendered pronouns, and it just it explores what humans want and what it even means to be human with such sweetness and compassion that I just was so grateful for it. And it was a book that, you know, I've already gifted to one friend. I'm sure I will give it to many more because it's just it it's so it's short and sweet and it comes in such a lovely little package that I just want to give it to everyone because it's such a wonderful reminder to just revel in goodness, which I feel like we could all use more of this year, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm definitely adding this to my list. I've been taking notes throughout. I'm like, okay, add like um, The Devil in America to my list, yep. add this to my list. Um, <laughs> so thank you for all of these recommendations. Well, good. Thank you. I feel like we all need to get together in three weeks and like trade notes about the stuff we read that we like talked each other into reading because that's really exciting. I would be so happy to do that. Yes. I would love that. <laughs> so like cry face emoji, heart emoji, exclamation point emoji. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> MJ, Tracy, thank you both so much. This was really fun. Thank you. Thank you. You can read MJ Franklin in the New York Times book review, and you can hear Tracy Thomas hosting the Stacks podcast. That is it for this week. We would love to know what your top three books of the year were. Head over to our Facebook group and let us know. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash nerdette headquarters. Next Friday, keep an eye out for the best TV of the year with Linda Holmes and Aisha Harris from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. We are very excited about that one, too. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Have a great weekend. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.